Disappointments come into our lives nearly every day. Getting what you want, how you want it, when you want it. It's not always possible in a fallen world. One of the essential assessments you could ever make about yourself is learning what your disappointments reveal about you. Did you know it's God's mercy to use those challenging moments in our lives to make us better people? Well, you know it. I think intuitively you know it. But it's when the rubber meets the road when we when we find ourselves going, oh, man, not again. Well, the truth is the world does not know this type of grace. And in that, we can rejoice. Let's talk about one positive, powerful purpose for your disappointments. Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas, and I'm so glad that you are here. I think you have learned by now I am only doing one of these articles a week. We have dialed it back so we can do more, not less. I have already done a Life Over Coffee podcast. I have dropped two video. I've dropped four videos already this week, and that's just by Tuesday. And so we're doing more, not less. And the reason that I can do more is because I'm focusing on other areas to give you more content. Not just this article that I'm producing a week, but we're giving you other podcasts, we're giving you videos, we're interacting on our forums, and we're building some surprises for you in our ministry. And so if you not have you if you have not subscribed to the Life Over Coffee Network, would you please go over there and do that. Continue to subscribe here, but also go over there and listen to Life Over Coffee. Uh, I did I did a case study this week about an adult child leaving the home. Is it okay? Is it not okay? How would you counsel someone who came to you and they had a 25-year-old child, male or female, wanting to leave home. Well, I walked through that in that podcast. I've got another podcast coming this week as well. Bill and Mabel have an issue again, as you might imagine. And I'm going to deal with another type of case study in a Life Over Coffee podcast. And so you don't want to miss all of that. Jump over there and subscribe. And do like Danielle did. Danielle wrote a five, gave us a five-star review. Uh, she is your favorite, uh, she is, what is she, your favorite housewife, your favorite homemaker. You can find her on Instagram, but she wrote a five-star review and gave us a, a nice, uh, a nice comment. And so would you please review our podcast, give us a nice review, whether it's Your Daily Drive or Life Over Coffee, because that helps us to reach more people, and that is what is what it is about. Every year, we reach hundreds of thousands of people. People want to know, what do you do? What exactly do you do? Well, we help people to live effective lives as they apply this content into their lives and also help others, teach others. We work with a boatload of counselors and so if you write a review, it will help us to reach more people individually as well as those who are doing the work of disciple-making. Pastor, we need your support. If you benefit from our resources, you share them with your people, would you pray about your church supporting us on a monthly basis? We need your support. There are more than 12 of us that are doing this work. We are churning out content 
every day. We're always working. This ministry never sleeps, and that's a true story. You can say that literally, absolutely. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day, we are not just producing content, but it is going all over the globe. We we never shut down because of coronavirus or anything else. We keep on trucking because our big box store is in cyberspace. And so it is reaching a lot of people. Pastor, you know this because you use our resources. And so would you consider uh, supporting us as a as a uh, local church supporting a global ministry that's helping people with the practical message of Jesus Christ. We are in our fall campaign, and this is the biggest time of the year for nonprofits. We are a 501c3 in America as far as nonprofits uh, gaining the revenue that they need to pay for the services uh, so that they can continue to go. It is a real thing, and it's something that I don't like talking about it, and some of you have told me you don't like hearing it, and I understand that. I get it, but this is the reality. We have bills just like you do, and we're working very hard, and so we need people to underwrite our ministry. This fall, we need $50,000, and so if you can support our ministry one time or on a recurring basis, I really need for you to pray about it, ask others about it, and then if you believe this is God's will for you, please do it. We need to come together as conservatives and also as Christians. Some conservatives are not Christians, but we need to find those organizations that we believe in and we want to support and we want to make them go because the enemy is full throttle, and you know that to be true. We see that every day in the news media, uh, that there is a intensified emphasis on shutting down conservative voices, and of course that includes Christian voices, and we're doing all we can to make our website safe, to protect it, to hide our resources where we can, but yet expose them. We don't want to be deplatformed, but yet uh, there is a tightrope there trying not to get deplatformed, but we need to get them out into people's hands and before their eyes. All right, I want to talk about this idea of disappointment because this applies to where we are today. And if folks are reading this a hundred years from now or listening to this podcast, well, it's going to be, it's going to apply then. As you know, Genesis 3, God promised Adam in response to his human altering blunder that life would always be difficult. From Adam's fall to the end of Revelation, the promise of personal problems, relational difficulty, and situational challenges make up what it means to be a human. And you can read all about it in Genesis 3, like specifically verses 17, 18, and 19. I have it here embedded inside this article, but you can find it in the first book of the Bible. We all know this truth. And to be quite honest with you, we can yes and amen it, but when trouble comes looking for us, what we know to be accurate, because we read it right there in the scriptures, we read it on paper, but it morphs into something strange when it's our time to step into the crucible. Because you and I cannot escape the effects of fallenness, no matter how hard we try, 
Our best course of action is to become a student of our mis- misery. Have you thought about that? We need to study our misery. Maybe you can look at your misery as like, a, like you are a, a person suited up in a, a white robe and, or a white jacket, and you are in the laboratory, and you are studying your misery. I would appeal to you to do that. I mean, God's in it. You want to learn from it. Typically, the initial action plan is to find an escape route. Now, perhaps that's the right thing to do because mitigating difficulties is a rational person's mindset. And so if you want to get out of your trouble and get out quickly, well, that makes you quite the rational person. And so you don't have to penalize yourself if you want to remove yourself from your trouble. But what if you can't do that? Learning from misfortune, well, that is a pay grade higher than human ingenuity, meaning, well, you know, we can maybe escape from our trouble, but learning from it, well, that's where God becomes part of our trouble. And when we understand that our misfortune is something that we can learn from. Well, that means we understand that God is in it, and wisdom expects you to act upon what you are learning. And so when misfortune comes and you can't get yourself out of it, you want to take on the role of a learner. Now, there is an often used illustration to point out how problems reveal our hearts, and that illustration that hundreds, maybe thousands of biblical counselors use, is the heat of the sun. Now, I want you to bank this idea that I'm sharing with you and then add it to your toolbox because it applies to all of our challenges, even the smallest ones. The big idea that I want to get across here is how the sun affects things. Now, it's not primarily the sun that I have in view here, but how it reveals your heart when the heat is turned up and intensifies your life. Every reaction to heat doesn't have to be wrong. I've already talked about this. The rational person's reaction is to, well, I want to escape from it. Let me give you an illustration. If the heat is bearing down on your life, you want to seek temporary relief from the heat, what would you do? You would sit in front of the air conditioner. Well, I would applaud you. Some of you would go and pour a glass of water to cool yourself. For those of you who are genuinely Southern, you will make a glass of iced sweet tea. My wife calls it a syrup when she, she's a Yankee from Erie, Pennsylvania. When she came to the South and had our tea, uh, she, th- she thought she could dip it out with a spoon. It was so thick and, and syrupy and sweet. Well, that's good old Southern sweet tea. But these relief reactions, they will help. They will help, even that sweet tea, praise God. Of course, there is that uncomfortable reality that the sun won't go away. The sun is always eager to keep bringing the heat. Now, we all know it's going to come back tomorrow. Like our troubles, as sparks fly upward, man's days are full of trouble. Now, this fact should not push you into pessimism about the fluctuations of life. But you do have to live in reality because this is how life happens to everybody. 
The son analogy is obvious. God has deemed it appropriate to allow heat into our lives. You have to wrestle with that sentence. Heat is part of his plan for humanity. Heat is the one mechanism that motivates us toward humble dependence on him. Well, there's also another part of that story. One of the problems with heat is that it can create hardness too. When you test my thesis in the material world, you see this dual purpose. For example, it will melt snow, that's what heat will do, and it will harden mud, that's what heat will do. Same sun, but there are antithetical results because the constitution of the recipients of the heat is different. Two people experiencing similar situational trouble respond differently. Some folks melt into a God-centered, spirit-empowered, word-guided humility. And then other folks harden into a human-centered, spirit-quenching and Bible-denying pride. Because the results can be different from individual to individual, you want to carefully analyze how you respond to the heat in your life. And though you can respond or you can learn from the experiences of others, it's only when you step into the crucible that you know the authenticity of your Christian experience. So here's what I want you to do. Think through one of your previous challenging experiences. Perhaps it's it was on the lighter end of, of the suffering spectrum. Maybe it was a traffic situation that inconvenienced you by a few seconds. You know, did you know that some people can get bent out of shape when they are hindered 1.8 seconds because that person in front of them was, you know what they were doing? They were on their mobile phone, staring down into their lap, texting somebody, and the light turned green, and it hindered you 1.8 seconds. That is in the crucible of suffering for, for some people. And then some of you wish that were the extent of your problems. I can hear you saying it now. I have a few people that just popped into my mind who are going through extreme suffering and have been for many years. They're thinking, put me at the traffic light behind that knuckle-headed texting person. Let that be the extent of my trouble. No, these people are in the middle of ever-evolving, unalterable relational conflict. But here's the question, does the heat of your life, does, does, it, does it soften or does it harden your heart? That is the question. So, so think about your most previous challenging experience. You don't have to grade it or evaluate it or compare it between that traffic light and the ever-evolving, unalterable relational conflict. But the question is, does it soften or harden your heart? How you answer the question about the heat is the difference between life and death, freedom and captivity, joy and sorrow. If you curse the sun as though it's the source of your issues, you will miss the point of what the Lord is doing in your life, meaning 
that woman you gave me, that's the heat in my life where you're cursing the sun. And if you do that, it's that texting boy at the traffic light if you're cursing the sun. That's what I'm talking about. If you do that, then you miss the point of what God is doing in your life. Now, if you see the heat as a means of grace, that woman you gave me is an instrument of righteousness in God's hands that he is using to shape me toward himself, well, then you will not only understand the purpose of the problems, but you will benefit from them. I want you to listen to some cornerstone foundational texts to this ministry. These are critical texts in all the Bible to our ministry because our ministry has this suffering-centric worldview because, again, this is how we help people because, well, people are always in trouble one way or another, we are experiencing difficulty, and this is what our ministry does best. We speak into the challenges, the troubles, the crucibles, the situational difficulties in people's lives. Therefore, these two passages of Scripture are vital to this ministry. I want you to hear how Paul talked about his struggles in the first part and the last part of 2 Corinthians. This is what he said in chapter 1. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Now, you can translate this as to you talking to your neighbor. I don't want you to be unaware of the affliction that I was going through. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we, we felt like we had received the sentence of death, but, and here's the great conjunction, listen to what Paul says, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see the purpose of his, of his problems right there. God was teaching him. He was ripping his arms away from the cords of self-reliance and teaching him to reach out and grab upon the cords of God-centered reliance, relying on him who raises the dead. That's at the first part of Second Corinthians. And then at the end in chapter 12, you know this very well, the thorn in the flesh. Paul said three times, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. That's the ever-evolving, unalterable relational conflict. Now, I don't know what the thorn was, to be honest with you, but you understand it's an unalterable thing. And Paul pleaded three times to the Lord about this, that it should leave, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul comes back with, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And then he adds his last short sentence in 2 Corinthians 12. And I do think this is the secret to life because this is a perfect picture of the gospel. He says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. 
And doesn't that sound like 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 through 25? That the weakness of God is stronger than men, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. So Paul says at the end of his second book of Corinthians, For when I am weak, then I am strong. He learned the lesson. In the first chapter of 2 Corinthians, Paul gives us a snapshot of one of the horrible events in his life in Asia. He is teaching us how to interpret and respond to what's happening. It's a call to stop relying on yourself while learning how to depend on the one who raises the dead. And then you go to the end of 2 Corinthians, and Paul continues with his suffering theme by sharing more insight into processing an unalterable problem. Now, what I would encourage you to do, I appeal to you to watch a one-hour seminar on overcoming unbelief, dismantling self-reliance. This is a free one-hour seminar. It's on our website. We're giving our resources away, and we're trusting you, pastor, and other folks to support us so that we can continue to give our resources away. And so I'm giving away my intellectual property, my life's work. I am just going to put it out there on the porch and anyone can access it. It is free to all. And I appeal to you to watch, take the time, say it's important to you, make it important to you and watch this one hour webinar, Overcoming Unbelief on our webinar on our video channel. Now, what you're looking for is the seminar channel where I have my one-hour-plus seminars. And I want you to look at There's a link here in this article that you can click on to get you to our video. We have 16 channels, and you can get to the specific channel and find the one over overcoming unbelief. If you take the two passages in 2 Corinthians, you can deduce a few transformative ideas from Paul's teaching. Now, as you reflect on those two texts, first uh, chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians and chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, you're going to see a sequence, and I'm going to lay out that sequence here. I read the two verses to you already. I don't want you to be unaware of the affliction we experienced in Asia. That was the first one in chapter 1, and then he pleaded three times about the thorn in the flesh in chapter 12. Well, I lay out a sequence for you. There's 13 things here. I want to share them with you right now. And it would serve you to stop the podcast or to come back to it or go to this article and copy and paste these things out of this article or go to the bottom of the article and you'll see a little print button and you can print the article into a PDF. However you do it, look at these 13, this sequence here. And then just do some journaling or do some talking with a friend. Here is how those two passages in chapter 1 and chapter 12 roll out sequentially. Number one, trouble is supposed to drive you to the end of your ability to get out of it. That's the purpose of trouble. Drive you past self-reliance into God-reliance. And so God puts you in a corner. He puts you in a spot to where you can't. Fix the problem. Number one, trouble is supposed to drive you to the end, past your ability to get out of it. Number two, sometimes the pain pushes you to the point of death. Well, that's what Paul said. We even despaired of life. Number three, the key. 
is to learn how to break the habit of self-reliance. It's a universal problem. You struggle with it. I struggle with it. That's why I did this one-hour seminar for all of us, for me to learn, for you to learn. The key is to learn how to break the habit of self-reliance. Number four, Paul addresses functional unbelief, and that is the core problem there. I will rely on myself, not on the Lord. We do this all the time. Number five, understanding your trouble is teaching you to rely on God. That is a significant victory. If you get down to this step and you realize that the trouble in your life is teaching you to to rely on God, you're in a pretty good place. But there's more. Number six, sometimes those messengers of Satan are at the behest of the Lord. And so now we're in 2 Corinthians 12. The first five were for the first uh, chapter in 2 Corinthians. Now we're in 2 Corinthians 12. Number six, sometimes those messengers of Satan are at the behest of the Lord. Number seven, it's okay to pray for change of circumstances. I pleaded three times, Paul said. Number eight, it's vital to learn how God's grace sustains you through unchanging trials. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Number 10, a God-imposed weakening condition prepares you to experience his strength. Paul said, therefore, I will rejoice, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Number 11, during this process, contentment will begin to settle into your soul, as you read in 2 Corinthians 12. Then number 12, then you will learn the lesson, the key to life. When you are weak, then you are strong. And then number 13, the thorn might not go away, but you know how to appropriate God's strength in your life. Now, those are the 13 sequential steps, the th lessons that you can learn through those two passages of Scripture that I shared with you. And then there's the anti-lesson. There have been times in my life where the heat of the sun, my suffering, was bearing down on me with such ferocity that the temptation to curse the sun was intense. Kind of like what Job's wife said, just curse God and die. Now, figuratively, cursing the sun for the scorching heat in your life is as nonsensical as a man standing in a field on a hot day yelling at that ball of heat. Cursing the sun exacerbates the problem. The discouraged farmer cannot change the sun any more than you can control all the heat in your life. What if you took two plants, plants, little green plants, and sat them side by side under the heat of the sun? The sun is equally pouring its rays on both plants, but one plant cannot withstand the heat. It withers away. The other plant flourishes. The big idea is where do you want to fix your focus, on the sun or the plants? One person experiencing difficulty will respond in anger or they may respond in anxiety, but both of those reactions are like cursing the sun. If you respond in anger, you're cursing the sun. If you respond in anxiety, you're cursing the sun. And then another individual responds with grace and humility and patience and a desire to learn. What we have is two disappointed people with two different results. Though you won't always respond perfectly to your trials, you must learn how to not let bad reactions become a habit. There is a difference between episodic bad reactions, which we will all have from time to time, and a pattern of sinful responses. 
And so as I wrap this up, here's my appeal. Don't beat yourself up for responding poorly to adversity. Don't do it. It's just a testimony that affirms your humanness. We talk about Paul as the great apostle to the Gentiles, which he was, but he, I don't want you to miss something that was laying in those texts. I was, it was laying right on top of the text that I was sharing with you a while ago. If you were to reread 2 Corinthians 1, 8, and 9, you will see that his initial response was not helpful to him or his relationships. You see, Paul, like you and me, had to learn the lesson after he failed the test the first time. And that's why I said, well, there's a difference between an episodic bad reaction and a pattern of sinful responses. Do not drift into morbid self-flagellation for not being as spiritual as you hoped you would be by now. Too often the temptation is to stare in the rearview mirror while drifting into regret. If that is you, stop it. Capture that thought and bring it into the obedience of Christ. Recognize your normalcy rather than elevating your opinion of yourself, thinking you're more than you are. The rational, humble soul will own his failure but not drown in it. He will recognize his inability as Paul did. He failed right there in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But he began to apply the lessons, and Paul eventually learned after his initial losses. And so the first step of repentance is recognizing you made a mistake. As you see these things, you own them, and then you make a plan to change while resisting all temptations to be sorrowful. The title of this podcast is One Positive, Powerful Purpose for Your Disappointments. I have a lot of embedded links here. I also have a video here, and you're welcome to watch it. I have a link to my one-hour seminar on overcoming self-reliance. And then, as always, at the end, I have this wonderful call-to-action section. I have several questions for you. Looks like about five of them, and there's multiple questions under each one. I would love for you to take this article, that you would read it, Copy and paste what you want, print off what you need, share it with a friend, answer these questions, work through them, watch the videos, check out the embedded links. And as always, if you want to talk to us, we'll see you right here.